0: Well, I always assume that all of you are better off than I am. But I will say that my personal peace is pretty fragile. I don't want yours to be, but sometimes mine is. I mean, sometimes it's it's the news that gets me. Sometimes I I read about North Korea and I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to become of my life, my children, my grandchildren, this world? And poof, there my own personal peace of mind just disappears. Or Charlottesville. Or some other um, news item just breaks my heart and it takes months for me there months it takes hours for me to recover, sometimes months, depending on how it is, but sometimes it's more personal than that sometimes i don't know what what to do for school for my kids sometimes i don't know what to do for my future, whether to buy this or sell this, sometimes it just in making the decision just there goes my peace. Sometimes somebody gets upset with me. Often somebody gets upset with me.
1: <laughs> and I just
0: think, what have I done? And what can I do? And how can I recover? And I and I just kind of stir myself up without peace. For some of us, there are really big things that blow up. Uh, marriages or uh, children or some... You lose a job or get a diagnosis and, and they're really big and they blow a big hole in what you would call your peace. And we have to figure out what are we going to do about that? If Jesus tells us He's going to give us peace that the world can't take away, why does it take it away so quick? This morning, I'm, I want to spend some time in Psalm 29 and help anchor your soul and help you not lose that peace so quickly, at least as quickly as I sometimes lose it. And so let's read Psalm 29 together. Uh, I, I, think, I think you'll enjoy uh, this psalm. Psalm 29, verse 1, Psalm of David. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes a deer give birth and strips the forest bare. In His temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned Over the flood, the Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. Well, this psalm presents the Lord as unique among all gods. Unique in that He is the Lord of creation, and we're invited to ascribe to Him glory and strength and to worship Him. In the opening two verses, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I I don't normally ascribe. In fact, I don't think I use that. I don't think I've ever used that word outside of church. Probably. To ascribe really has uh, two sides to it. There is a proactive side, you might say. If you're going to ascribe to the Lord something, you are going to, to put God in His place. You are going to give Him the rightful place in your life and in the universe. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to Him the glory due His name. That is saying, I will... I will give God the glory He is due and He will be in His rightful place in my life, in my perspective, in my world. I will ascribe to the Lord proactively glory and strength. To ascribe also has a reactive component too, you might say, and that is to give credit. To give credit where credit is due. To uh, to notice that something happened, and give the credit appropriately. So um, maybe, I mean, we do this. We do this when we get sick all the time, or when we have a surgery or something. We'll, well, you know, say, "Oh, I had a good doctor," or I, they they prescribed a, a, a you know something for you know pain. It made the pain go away, and we'll ascribe the the solution to our problem we will give credit to something, a doctor, medicine, something. Or we could say, well, the Lord was gracious to me and healed me. The same is true, and we are faced with a decision, I mean, and you can compliment your doctor for sure, but to, to give God credit for what He has done in your life and in your world. That is to ascribe to the Lord. And so we do, we do that kind of on the front end and on the back end. We are, we are, uh, noticing God, recognizing He is glorious and strong. We worship Him for that. And when He does good to us, we give Him credit. That is, I think that's the best I can do to, to describe the word ascribe. How's that? And so that's a call of this, is to ascribe to the Lord. Put Him uh, in the rightful place in your life. Why? Because of His voice of all things. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. He's over many waters. I mean, it's fun for me to stand up here in front of a, a happy group of Oregonians who finally got some rain. They know Their place in the world is restored. This really does have to do with that. It has to do with God being the God of um, creation, where the the thunderstorms and the rain and the floods and the wind all find their source in Him. And so that's that's really why you'll notice. I mean, I I, it, I think it's seven times. I forgot to um, remember the number. Where it just talks about the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty, and we get the impression that this voice of the Lord is like thunder. I mean, again, uh, you get rain in Oregon, but you don't get many thunderstorms here. But I mean, it is it is a uh, it is a humbling thing to to be across the prairie in eastern Montana and see the thunderstorm off in the distance as as uh, the night falls and you see the lightning strikes and you see that get closer and closer and bigger and bigger and the the thunder gets louder and louder and closer and closer to the lightning strikes. And you don't have a very big impression of yourself when you see that happen. That's, I think, the the picture here is of this enormous thunderstorm uh, traveling across the land and the voice of the Lord uh, being personified by the thunder, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars and uh, makes Lebanon and Syria and skip like young wild ox. I mean, so the idea is that this this thunder, this storm comes in, and it is so powerful that the wind rips the, the cedars. the The picture of the strongest thing that somebody can imagine means the strongest living thing closest to Israel. There. Where he's writing this. That, the Lord just poof, speaks and it blows up. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. I mean, Lebanon, of course, is is, uh, essentially a valley there, north of Israel, and Syrian is the mountain range uh, next to it. And so the picture is the picture of God Himself being so powerful that as He speaks, the cedars are ripped to pieces and the mountains quake. A God like that is one you ought to respect. And so he continues to say, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. He shakes the wilderness. He shakes the wilderness. Kadesh. Again, the same kinds of thunderstorm imagery. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. I don't know if the deer gets so scared by the thunder that... They're up come the babies or what, but um, part of what God does is give uh, enables the uh, deer to give birth and he strips the forest bare so whether you're whether you're thinking about like the storm that went uh, on the uh, coastal range there by seaside a few years ago and just laid down all those trees or whether you're think of like a forest fire that uh, was burning so many places, we had so much smoke recently, that just makes the whole land bare? Either way, you better respect what does that. And in his temple, all cry, glory. When you recognize God as the powerful God of nature or creation, you recognize God as glorious. Now that is that is on the first blush the topic of this uh, psalm for sure, that it is this power that God possesses. We ascribe to him glory and strength, right? And his glory and strength is visible to us, perhaps more visible to us in um, the acts of nature than anywhere else. And so in his temple all cry glory. Some of you are looking at your watch saying, he's, he's pretty much done with this whole psalm. Yes! I want you to notice something else though. This psalm has a, you might say, another dimension. There's, there is more to hear than meets the eye in our just plain quick reading of it. Certainly, there is thunder. Certainly, there is lightning. Certainly, God is the God of all of creation and should be feared and respected on that account. There's no question that that's here in this psalm. But you'll notice verse 1. I'm going to put it up in a second, but notice verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord... Who is this psalm written to? O heavenly beings, if you have the ESV, right? Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly... This isn't written to you. It's not written to say, I want you to ascribe something to the Lord. This is for some reason written to the heavenly beings. Okay, so let's take a minute to think about that what that looks like. And the, the Scripture treats this differently than you, know, you might in the way that you think about your world. Because this psalm was written in a context, a, a pluralistic context, where there were multiple gods. And Israel had come into the land, the Canaanite land, and they had all had their gods Baal being the chief among them. And these gods were animated, you may say, by living spiritual beings, though each one was just a statue made of wood or metal. And so it's in this context that we have this sort of this this psalm written. And in this context you have uh a cadre you might say of gods that in in the view of the ancient Hebrews had meetings i 'm just going to say it that way they had meetings you 'll recall in Job the first couple chapters of Job, it says that the Uh, the sons of God presented themselves before God, Satan was among them. I mean, that has puzzled the daylights out of me. What kind of meeting are they having where there's other beings and Satan is there present having being part of any kind of conversation with God? Hmm. But that's how they view the spiritual world. As maybe a little more complex than you do. We've naturalized most everything that happens into cause and effect and uh, natural phenomenon. And the, the view was that there was this multiplicity of gods. And only Yahweh, God of the Bible, would you attribute a capital G to Him as God. All the others were gods, little g. Now, I'm just going to show you a couple other places About that in Scripture. Okay, here's Exodus chapter 15. So Israel was was, um, made captive in, uh, made slaves in Egypt. Egypt had their gods, right? Egypt had the god of the sun. They had the god of the Nile, and they had all of these uh, pantheon of gods. And so, in Moses' song after they were delivered. He asks the question, Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? There is none like You. I mean, assuming that. That's that's the assumption of the question. Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Of course, He has in mind parting the Red Sea and delivering them with the plagues. Notice the way that God articulates What he is doing in the Exodus. God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and not on the Egyptians, but on all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am Yahweh. So, what we have here, you know, among the other throughout the Old Testament is this contest of gods. Whose God is stronger? In Psalm 82, the same kind of idea that was mentioned in Job. God has taken His place in the divine council. What is His place? In the midst of the gods he is the one who holds forth judgment. He is the one presiding. He is God above all gods. So, King of kings and Lord of lords, He is God of all gods. Okay, that's the way that He's presented here. Israel had come into Canaan and had displaced the Canaanites and the Philistines. And their primary god, as I mentioned, was Baal or Baal. And here's what the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary says about him. He is a Canaanite storm god. The storm and fertility god. The name which means Lord is an epitaph for the god Hadad. Literally, thunderer. Okay. So, you're thinking about the narrative throughout this Old Testament of the contest of gods. And you have the, the storm god. And, and think about it. So, the, these people, we think that they were... You may think they were crazy. okay, Because they have these idols and they have these worship practices. And you know, some of them even offered children to, their, to, to Baal so that he would you know, give them rain and, and bless them it okay, sounds crazy to me. But when you live in an agrarian culture, as arid as it is in Israel, you are really dependent on rain. And so you're, you want to be on good terms with whatever God there is going to be that's going to bring rain. I mean, you're, you're living in a, Essentially a pre-medical time. And if you're going to bear children, if you're going to have heirs, if you're going to have a family, you you are going to be on good terms with the God of fertility. Baal. This is one of the greatest, greatest stories in all of the Old Testament that I absolutely love. Better than David and Goliath. Is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Okay, we got the same thing, the same God, same conflict, same kind of thing. And what, what happens is all of Israel's just decided they're going to forsake God and they're going to go over and, you know, Baal or Baal is going to be their God. The king mandates it and they've just, you know, they supply all the priests of this idol with food and they take care of him. And finally, this one prophet of God, Elijah, says, listen, that's enough. Let's have a contest. It is a contest of God, you see. There is a contest of God. In this contest of God, the reason they're having contests of God is that Baal had already failed. They had been three and a half years without rain. Okay, what are they going to do they're going to have to come up with something. So he has he has this contest with between Yahweh and Baal, and let's uh, put an offering on this, this stone pillar and uh, pour. You know, if, if God brings fire on it, if your God brings fire and He's a real God, if my God brings fire and He's a real God, and so I mean, it's just it's just a fun it's just a fun thing to imagine, right? So there's 450 priests of all, circling, chanting, dancing, cutting themselves, and there's one prophet of God over there on the side saying, "Well, maybe he's off going to the bathroom. And he's apparently sleeping. He's not here. He's not listening to you. And nothing happens. So they kind of call timeout, half time out, halftime, in the contest. And he says, "Okay, let me pray to Yahweh." He said, "But before I do, I want, you to, I want you to pour water on the sacrifice." So he gets these pitchers of water and he pours it until it fills the trough around, and he prays to God. And heaven, flash! It's consumed in just an instant. And God execute. God. God shows himself to be God above all gods, and ex- uh, essentially accentuates his power over other gods. And then of course all of the prophets of Baal are slaughtered, and it's you know, there's all kinds of uh things. But the point being, God made his name great. And then it rained. Once Baal failed, God brought rain. That's the story of um, Elijah here. Okay. So that gives you this idea that there have been contests between God and lesser gods kind of throughout the story or the narrative, kind of buried in the narrative of the Old Testament. So with that, okay, I want you to look again at Psalm 29. Describe to the Lord, O oh, heavenly beings, okay, in this council, whether you're, I mean, I don't know how you conceive of a divine council, a council of uh, spiritual beings. But I want you, the invitations for them to ascribe the one and true God with glory and strength, the glory to His name, and to worship Him. And notice it doesn't say in the splendor of His holiness. But it says in, in, in the splendor of holiness, or literally, holy array, dress for the occasion of meeting with Yahweh. The priests would would dress up to go to the temple. This This was their meeting with the one and true God. So, those of you, I want you to ascribe Him glory and praise. Because He alone is worthy of glory because of His strength and His holiness. And notice now how he picks on this God of the storm, Baal. This God of the so-called God who would bring rain. This is Yahweh now, whose voice is over the waters. This God of glory, He is the one who thunders, not Baal he's over many waters he's powerful and full of majesty he is god above all gods it is not but all who brings a storm that breaks the cedars it's the lord and now in this contest of which god is the greater god it is yahweh or the lord and you're i'm just going to have to pause for a minute in case this gives some of you Heartburn, right? And I didn't notice this on the first time through, right? And uh, you're, you might say, are, are you reading this literally? Are you making this up? Okay, I mean, in the greater context, I hope this is obvious, I've already, that I've already shown, this is the way that, that the, um, the Hebrews processed um, the spiritual world here. But notice here that that this is not intended to to be you know literal in, in some sense of the world. If you're if you're saying I'm a literalist, are you really going to have mountains dancing like a young wild ox, or have a, a large swath of geography skipping like a calf? Okay, maybe maybe that's how you view the, the Bible, and you say. That never happens. Or so the Bible's not true. Or some crazy thing like that. See, what, when you're talking about being, you know, believing the Bible literally, you're talking about what did he literally mean to communicate? What was he intending us to see here so that we literally get what he was literally saying? And right here, I think most clearly what you have is him setting up a contest between our God, Yahweh, the God of creation, the God of the Bible, and lesser gods. It's why He starts out in this heavenly council with these heavenly beings. That's why He picks on the thunderer God. And it's Yahweh that really brings the storm. So that we see this through and through. It is... Him who brings lightning and flashes. This imposing force is Yahweh, not something else. He shakes the wilderness. He shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And so, you have this psalm being on the one hand, I mean, it's poetry. Poetry is meant to be read like this. Okay. On the one hand, you have God establishing himself as authority, king over all of the natural phenomenon in this world. And then, as you think about it and process it, you have God not only being God over this world and God over all creation, but God over all gods. Even the God that you might perceive to be most powerful. So, his conclusion then... Oops, I guess we're not to the conclusion. Well, let me just say, before before I get to the conclusion, I have one extra verse here, I guess. Sorry, my bad. But it's the voice of the Lord that makes the deer give birth. Now, why was that? That was, you know, it seemed crazy in the first blush, right? It doesn't go with letting the force bear. doesn't go with lightning and thunder unless this same God is a fertility God and all of a sudden a reference to giving birth, says we've got a bullseye here on some loser God who's trying to make a play for the hearts of people. And so he strips the forest bear, and in his temple all cry glory. Now, I'm I'm going to suggest to you he's thinking more of the heavenly court, the heavenly temple, probably than a temple that hadn't been built yet in Jerusalem. He has in view all of these heavenly beings in holy array, watching God destroy all, saying, glory. You see, that I think is the way that this psalm is meant to work on two different levels. Now, that's why he can say, the Lord sits enthroned Over the flood. You're worried about it being too hot and dry? The Lord is Lord over that. You're worried about it being too stormy? The Lord is Lord over that. He is king over the natural phenomenon on the one level, without question. And the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is nobody who is his equal. Nobody does wonders like our God. And so on the on the surface level it's about creation. On the the, the, the subtext level, it is about his conquering the forces of darkness. His victory over these false and inferior gods, and it's really here that comes into play some of our issues about peace, some of our issues about what it is that gets us riled up, or gets us brokenhearted, or gets us um, uh, gets us uh, away from trusting in Him because some of it is yeah there are things that happen in this world that we don't like and so we lose perspective and and our peace goes away but the lord is the lord sits enthroned over that flood over those natural things over those things that happen uh, every now and then he sits enthroned over that but some of some of it is we're, we're hoping in things that are inferior. We're hoping that, say, the education of our children will provide them with a happy and glorious future. And you know what? That is, that is a false idol. And so we get all uptight about it. And our peace goes away because we're trusting in something was never meant to be trusted in. You could say, you say the same thing about um, trusting in science. You could say the same thing about trusting in medicine. You could say the same thing about trusting in a retirement account or in the promise of uh, some kind of economic prosperity. All of those things are put forth to us as things that we can trust in that will that will somehow bless our lives like Baal was supposed to have blessed uh, the Canaanites. And you need to know that Yahweh sits enthroned forever over those things too. That He is God above all gods. Even those lesser things that you may put your hope in those things that we would hold up as idols and that we would trust in, Yahweh is king over those two. And so as you think about where we started with your peace and why it evaporates so quickly, a lot of the times it evaporates so quickly because it does for me, I'm just going to say for me, okay? You're welcome to say for me too it's because I get my eyes off of the true King. I do not believe He really does reign and He does not sit enthroned over the floods that affect me. I'm thinking that, you know what, I'm in the flood all by myself. And so i got to lay awake at night trying to think of how I'm going to get out of this flood. I forget that in reality, God is still God. Over all of these other competing factors in my life, God is still God. He is King forever and when i ascribe to him his proper place i join in the heavenly beings and say there is only one true god god above all gods in him i trust when he is where he should be it's much easier to live at peace that's why the final verse is a prayer for that very thing may the lord give strength to his people because He is the God of glory and strength. He is a God who can, with His voice, blast down the forests. With His voice, shake the mountains. With His voice, conquer all lesser rivals. May He give strength to His people. To you and to me as we go through whatever storm we may have whenever we are tempted And even go down the path a little ways to trusting in some rival idea for our peace. May God give us strength. And of course then at the end, may the Lord bless His people with peace. That's where this prayer comes in because this God enthroned above all gods, this God enthroned above creation is the only hope for peace. He's the only one that can restore it once you get all shaken. He's the only one that can prevent you from getting all shaken. May the Lord bless you with peace. There's one more facet to this story that I would just want to append here at the end and point you point you where I always want to point you. I want you to I want to point you to faith in God, right? Every week, this is. I mean, you can clearly see. I hope we're talking about a God who shakes, who, who shakes the mountains and blasts down the forest. And we're we're not talking about something you've got to do to do just a little better. This is not a time where you got to try a little harder and just you know buck up. This is this message is about God being the God who is unlike any other God, and can bring you peace. That's what this message is about. I want to point you ahead here a little ways, where I always want to point you, and that's to Jesus. There was a very similar, eerily similar experience in his life. He fell asleep in a boat, was crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a large storm arose in the and his disciples, who were professional uh, fishermen, spent their lives on the sea, freaked out. They woke him and said, are you going to let us perish? And this is what he said. He woke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you no peace? Or have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? Is there a God like you that even the wind and the sea obey Him? You see, Jesus, Jesus is God the very God. He is the God-man who just like Yahweh in the Old Testament commands the winds and waves of nature, who just like Yahweh is King above all kings, Lord above all lords, He can silence any threat and He is to be trusted. And and really just puts it it back on us. Will you trust Him? The same question comes back to every week, isn't it? That's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to ask the question, am I going to trust Him today? Because who then is this? Who, this is right where we begin. Who is like Yahweh? Exodus 12. And so, my invitation to you is to trust Jesus. Because just like he is king over, just like Jesus is king over the wind and the waves, he is also king. And presents him as king over the principalities and powers in all throughout the New Testament. It is the same thing. The pantheon of Canaanite gods is gone. The pantheon of Greek gods is here, and he is still God. The, The Greek pantheon is now gone. You read about it in your, in your History of Literature classes in 8th grade. They're gone. The pantheon now of science and psychology and all of these other ways that the world works, that's the, that's the new pantheon. And you and I have to decide, are we going to believe in Jesus? Are we going to trust Yahweh? Are we going to believe in the One who calms the storm? May the Lord grant His people peace. Let's pray. Oh great God and Father, we are humbled by You even as we come and consider our own inability to stop even the stupidest things from happening in our lives. And we recognize that the winds and the waves obey You that Um, Your voice thunders that in all of the comparable things that one might believe, You stand alone as God above all gods. Forgive us for trusting in other things. Forgive us for being afraid. Forgive us for not believing in You and believing that You, this God above all gods, loves us. What a thought. God, would you help us now to go forward in faith, to to sing here and and do what you've invited the heavenly beings to do, to worship you in the splendor of holiness. Father, we praise you for being the one and only God. And we ask that you would bless us now as we walk as your people. In the name of Jesus, amen.